Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland, a senior writer here at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting across from me, as always, is editor Chris Paulette. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. So we're doing a very special episode of Tech Stuff. And uh, it's not something that we would normally do. We've already done two episodes about Steve Jobs. One of them specifically about Steve Jobs. Uh, about because we were doing a compare and contrast with Bill Gates. In fact, the original concept of those two episodes, if you go back and look at the history of tech stuff, 
originally we were just going to do one episode mm-hmm. where we were just going to compare and contrast the two men. And it became abundantly clear as we were recording the show that that was not going to happen because it was just too much stuff about both of those men. So each one got his own episode. Yeah. There, the, the thing that struck, I think both Jonathan and me, if I may, I, I, sure. I, I think I'm doing a little mind reading, but I think I'm right. The thing that struck both of us is that these two guys not only influence tech from a particular point in time, but they are eerily similar yes. in a lot of in a lot of respects. There are a lot of parallels. About the same age, mm-hmm. they both dropped out of school to found a company. To found a company, uh, and they worked together for a very long time and against one another. Both of them very strong personalities. Yes. Uh, our second episode about Steve Jobs was really about what was going to happen to Apple once Steve Jobs stepped down, mm-hmm. which he did uh, earlier in 2011. Now we're recording this episode. The week that we learned of Steve Jobs' death. So um, it's tough. Uh, it's weird to be upset about a CEO whom you've never met. But at the same time, it is impossible to deny Steve Jobs' impact on technology and on us personally and professionally. So we know that you've probably heard multiple memorials and tributes. Lots of people have been saying – very uh, uh, deep things about Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. We're not really going to dive into his life uh, or uh, anything like that uh, in this episode because, one, we've done it before. And mm-hmm. two, other people are doing that so much right now that there's just not a point. We wanted to talk more about how Steve Jobs' work and how Apple's products have affected us both on a professional level and on a personal level. And I think we're just going to kind of share some stories and again, this is not something we normally do. I mean, usually we like to be friendly. We like to have our, our banter, but we don't tend to share a lot about ourselves um, in this show. Little bits and pieces tend to come out. But this one, I think, is going to be maybe a little more um, raw. Well, the you know, the point of the show is for us to talk about technology. Yeah, and not um, about us. And we, we like to talk about technology and humanity, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how, how people use technology, how technology affects people. Um and I think for once, uh, we've come across, uh, a, a technology related person who, uh, he was so larger than life. Yeah. At his company that it was hard not to follow. And I think the same, uh, is true. You know, that I'm sure that we have some people who are, uh, who don't particularly like Apple or its products because of the philosophy behind the company. Sure. But I think, I think we would be having this same kind of conversation. Uh, about certain other people, including Bill Gates. Yeah. Because we're interested in, in these guys. And you and can't deny the impact. No. I mean, even let's say you never have bought an Apple product in your life, that you have no interest in Apple products whatsoever. Yeah. The products you do buy were influenced by Apple. And vice versa. Yeah. So either the product you bought is, uh, you know, it may be that, that, the reason the product you bought looks the way it does because of Apple for one of two reasons. Either the company wanted to make something that looked sort of like Apple products because Apple products have such a, a undeniable appeal among a very large portion of the population, or 
it specifically does not look like an Apple product Mm -hmm. in order to go a totally different direction. But either way, the decision for that design was at least somewhat based upon what Apple did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Apple did the same thing. In fact, uh, uh, before we get into our personal stories, one of the things I've said several times this week uh, since his passing is that what Steve Jobs was really a master at was taking a look at existing technology that had not met with much success in the consumer market and find a way to make it work in the consumer market. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily that he invented things, but that he took stuff that just the average consumer either wasn't aware of or wasn't interested in and turned that into a must-have product. And that is genius. Mm -hmm. It may not be the sort of genius that you you get the light bulb that pops up over your head and you suddenly invent something phenomenal. But it may be that you look at something that no one else has given really a chance because it just doesn't seem like anyone's interested in it. You do your magic and then suddenly everyone wants one. Mm-hmm. And let's here's a quick rundown of some of the stuff that Steve Jobs was really able to to push out there. First of all, he's one of the geniuses who really did usher in the era of the personal computer. Mm-hmm. You know, personal computers didn't begin with the Apple II. No. But uh, the, once the Apple II hit the market, they started to really become popular among consumers. They were still luxury products. They were very expensive, especially for the time. Um, but before the Apple II, personal computers were really in the realm of hobbyists mm-hmm. and early adopters. And beyond that that market, you didn't see a lot of personal computers out there. The Apple II changed that. Now, other computers came behind the Apple II and even broke through other barriers, but that was one of those early successes. Then you have the Mac, which had the first real graphical user interface and mouse combination for a personal computer, mm-hmm. right? Those those were not new. The, the mouse and graphical user interface had been displayed as far back as, I think, the late 60s over at Xerox. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, that, that actually makes, this is a good Time to point out a couple things. Yeah. Um, uh, one, of course, Steve Jobs couldn't have done all of these things by himself. No, um, he knows, or he 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 knew a lot yeah, about hard how to, to put en- it in the past. Tense. Uh, it is. Yeah, uh, he knew a lot about how to encourage other smart and talented people to do their best work. Yeah, sometimes by being aggressive with them. Yeah, sometimes um, he was a jerk. Yeah. You know what? We Steve Jobs had an amazing effect on technology, but he, he was also he could be abrasive. He was yeah, definitely abrasive, aggressive, insulting. I mean, we don't want to paint a picture here where we're saying like he he had no faults. Yeah. That's not the purpose of this podcast either. We're very much aware of them, but he got results. Yeah. And and there will be people who say that Apple stole the idea for a GUI from Park. Heck, Steve Jobs said at one point that, you know, you don't copy ideas, you steal them. Yeah. He said that, I think, in 96 when he came back to Apple. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but on the other hand, Xerox was not in the business of making personal computers for people in right. the same way that Apple was. Um, and uh, somebody will also probably point out that uh, Steve and the Macintosh team at Apple did not necessarily get along all that well. Steve was actually backing the Lisa. Yeah. Um, which flopped, uh, a lot of, well, there are a few reasons. Yeah. Uh, one that, of which was the price. The price yeah, it was yeah. ex- extremely expensive. Um, but you know, Steve also knew when the Macintosh had won and 
was supportive of it later. Yes. And again, the Macintosh, you could, you could come up to me and say, Hey, Jonathan, but the Macintosh doesn't have, it never had the kind of, uh, market share that Windows based PCs did. Windows based PCs, uh, were by far the majority, uh, in the market compared to the Mac. And I would agree with you, except I would also say, yeah, but, Windows-based machines are using a graphical user interface, and one could argue that the reason for that is because of the Mac. Specifically that they, that Microsoft uh, licensed uh, the Mac operating system look and feel for use in, in the very first version of Windows. So That was what the lawsuit was about, right, was so whether you, or not they were allowed to continue with that past the first version. Right. So you've got, you know, there's there's an example of Steve Jobs influencing the whole industry. Um, and not just Steve Jobs, obviously, yeah. but he's he's really the driving personality behind a lot of what Apple did. Uh, same thing with MP3 players. MP3 players existed before the iPod came out. But the iPod was arguably the first device that the average consumer saw and said, I get it. I understand what that's about, and I want one. And it really helped once iTunes launched. Mm-hmm. Because once iTunes and iPod were out there, Especially if you had a Mac computer, it was a little more of a headache if you used a PC, a Windows-based PC. But it just, it was an ecosystem that worked great and it was really easy to synchronize music, to organize music. Um, and of course, the iPod eventually made it very easy to have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's one impact we can talk about right now. Without Steve Jobs and his work and the work that Apple did, we wouldn't have a show. Mm-hmm. It's not that podcasts wouldn't exist. They probably would. You would probably still have some people out there who were making uh, audio and video content that you could subscribe through some RSS catcher program. But it would be a much more niche-oriented thing. You wouldn't hit the broad audience that you can with uh, podcasts today because, frankly, iTunes makes it so easy on the user to subscribe to them. Mm-hmm. So without iTunes, we would not have the audience that we do have. We'd have a lot of you because a lot of you I know are using other ways of listening to us. Sure. But the vast majority of you are are using iTunes or an app. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so chances are we would have never even tried to start a, a show because we just wouldn't think we'd reach very many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's an impact right there. Uh, also things like the smartphone I mean, the iPhone really brought the smartphone to the consumer market in a way that was unprecedented. Yeah, we talked about earlier types of smartphones, um, the Trio from Trio Palm, is a good example, uh, and and BlackBerry, yep. of course. But those were those were things that business people carried. There wasn't really uh, a lot of reason to use um, those devices for. A lot of people, they just didn't, they've got features that I don't really need. Why would I want email? I mean, I can do that at home. Right. And, you know, if the, part of it is the technology and part of it is making it look good. And, it, you know, that the iPhone really did that. They yeah. said, you know, isn't this cool? Don't you think this, is, this would be fun to play with? And people said, yeah. So we've uh, sort of established the fact that Steve Jobs, you know, has had an enormous impact on technology, um, whether directly through Apple or indirectly because Apple's products have influenced other other companies to try and either uh, outdo Apple or to go a completely different direction because they felt that Apple had sewn up that particular space. Uh, let's talk about how 
how Jobs and Apple have affected us personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Uh, either way is fine with me. Uh, I'll tell my I'll tell my first story. Okay. Um, so I, I, I've talked about this before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a kid when I was growing up, I had access to a couple different computers. But the first computer that I started to use that I really used extensively was the Apple IIe. Mm-hmm. Now, my father got an Apple IIe because my father, among other things, is a professional writer. And mm-hmm. he wanted to have a computer so that he could write his books, save things to a diskette, five and a quarter inch disc, and, uh, and, and be able – actually – when I say save his books to a five and a quarter inch desk, I really mean save a couple of chapters to a five and a quarter inch desk. Uh, if you go back and look at my dad's bibliography on the old Apple IIe, uh, you're talking about a couple of, um, couple of, uh, of disc holders full of discs. Cause I remember those books would take up like 20 discs total. Yeah. It didn't have a lot of storage space back then. Anyway, that was the computer that I really started to use frequently. And, I, I really do believe that my love of technology somewhat I, – I, I have to credit that somewhat to Apple and to Steve Jobs because it was those early experiences with the Apple IIe that taught me to love tech. And without those experiences, I can't say for sure that I would have developed the same love. Now, I've always been some something of a geek and a dork and all that kind of stuff. No. I know. It's shocking, isn't it? Um, but – I don't know that that would have developed into that interest, right? I might have become a comic book geek and never really looked at computers instead of doing it the other way around. Um, so really, if you think of it that way and you extrapolate from that, because of my love of tech, in no small part, my love of tech is what helped me get my job as a writer at HowStuffWorks.com. Uh, if I didn't love technology, I wouldn't have even thought to apply to be a writer for a website. It certainly contributed to becoming the writer for the technology channel on HowStuffWorks.com. When I mm-hmm. first started at HowStuffWorks, I was not a, the tech writer. I was one of two staff writers, and that that's all we had for staff writers. Uh, eventually, we built up our writing staff so that we would – differentiate and, and 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 specialize in various uh, channels on the site. And uh, it fell to me to be the tech writer, which I embraced because I love technology. And uh, that's also why when it came time to start launching podcasts and we talked about technology podcasts, I was one of the people talked to about doing the, the tech podcast. Uh, so I can say for two reasons now, I would not be on tech stuff if it weren't for Apple and Steve Jobs, because if I hadn't developed that love, I wouldn't even be here. And I certainly wouldn't have the the um, desire to talk about technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of that, uh, I have, you know, we have the Tech Stuff podcast and I'm a happy participant in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's um, listeners who remember back when we talked about the Amiga, remember that the Amiga was my first computer and um, I got that back in 1985, which was, of course, the year after the, uh, the Macintosh came out, the, uh, Mac Classic, which, of course, wasn't classic back then because it was brand new. Um, and they both ran on similar processors, the, uh, 68,000 series Motorola processor. Um, and it's, it's funny because at the time, um, those of us who were Amiga people, and there are still a lot of loyal Amigans out there, but a lot of them are using other operating systems like me. Um, 
you know, the, at the time it was the Amiga versus the Mac and the Atari ST. And then there were PCs out there, but those were business machines. Mm-hmm. Those weren't home computers. Those weren't the machines that people brought home. Right. Uh, because you couldn't do all the stuff you could. I mean, it's like uh, black black and amber monitors, you know? Yeah. And they uh, ran very specific green. protocols, and they weren't designed to necessarily run other kinds of programs. Yeah. So it seemed, it seemed to, to a lot of us that, you know, it was a three-way race for what was coming in the future. Um, and you would have, you know, the, the PC and then, you know, the three of us. And I think there were, there was a lot of infighting. At least that was my perception from the, the Amiga side. And, uh, you know, I had, uh, I had a friend who, uh, I, I teased a lot. He had a, uh, uh, Apple 2C. Mm-hmm. Um, and I teased him about that because he had a, a monochrome monitor. Yep. And then I had a friend who got a, uh, a Mac. And I was really impressed with all the things. I had a couple friends actually had Macs and I, you know, played Load Runner on the machines and, mm-hmm. um, you know, was really impressed with the, the typography. And this is actually interesting. I'd never watched the, uh, 2005 commencement address that, that Steve Jobs gave at Stanford. Um, but he said after he left Reed College, um, he had actually dropped in on some classes and one of which was a, a calligraphy class, which was really excellent. He said, you know, at the time, it was just something he was really interested in, but he learned a lot about how letters look uh, and and fonts and typefaces, uh, things like spacing between letters, um, and he really wouldn't have necessarily chalked that up to something that he would need. But later, typography became one of the the core uh, differences between the Macintosh and so many other computers. I remember uh, taking my Amiga to college with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I started with the Amiga 1000 that I, I got in high school, and then um, in 1990 got an Amiga 3000. And I remember being frustrated because the campus I went to um, it was a, a Mac uh, Mac school. So they had, of course, you know, Apple has always been, or at least back in the, the 80s and 90s, was really pushing for the education market. Mm-hmm. And uh, I been, remember being really frustrated that the fonts on the Amiga just weren't as uh, – when you printed the things out, I wanted my papers to look like everyone else's papers. And people who had Macs could do so much more. And then the Amiga gradually – you know, Commodore folded, and uh, it, it just gradually looked like I, I was going to be orphaned forever. Um, it appears that way now, but just a couple of years ago, it looked like, you know, there might be a home for the Amiga in some con- context. Um but uh, I got married, and my wife brought her uh, Mac LC2 um, with her. And we mm-hmm. she had a Performa in college and then got an LC2. And that was my first, what I would consider my first Mac. Um, and then, you know, I just, I liked the operating system. The more I used it, the more I liked it. Um, this was probably, I guess, uh, 1994. Um, so, um, you know, I got to the point where, I really, really enjoyed working on the the operating system. I got a job where I could do that. I, I was into a little bit of graphic uh, design type stuff. I worked in a newspaper that was a Mac shop. Um, it's where I needed to use Photoshop to uh, to work on paper and Cork Express to do layout. Um, and you know, the more I used it, the more I liked it. And at that point, you know, it was the Mac operating system versus uh, Windows three point one, mm-hmm. which I mean, Windows three point one was clunky. Um, I think most people would agree mm-hmm. to, to that. And, uh, you know, I just decided that that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I ended up with the very first iMac on the day it came out in August of 1998. 
Um, ended up getting several Macs uh, over the years um, and uh, other devices, too. My first iPod was an iPod 4G black and white scroll wheel. Um, then I got an iPod Touch later on, and uh, I got the iPad the week it came out. Not the first day it came out, but the first week it came out. Yeah, I gave you no end of trouble about that. Well, here's here's another thing. I mean, Steve Jobs was famous for his reality distortion field where he could yes. he could talk you into stuff and I I admit I was skeptical that a tablet would break in after all the years of Windows tablets. Um and this is after, you know, several iterations of Windows to the point where, you know, I've had I've worked at several jobs where I needed Windows and I actually um I actually don't mind Windows. Yeah. You know, and I've used Ubuntu and, uh, you know, a couple other flavors of Linux, and I like those too. I still prefer the Mac interface. Um, but, you know, looking at the Windows tablets, I went, you know, the form factor is there, and people are just not embracing this outside of certain fields, like the medical profession, where it makes a lot of sense to have something like that. And then, you know, I, I picked one up, and I said, you know what, this is, this is different. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, the people who buy iPads, they buy iPads and, and they're finding ways to make use of them, but they didn't really need one to begin with. But I would argue that that's true of the personal computer. Um, and I think I may have even said that on this podcast before. But, um, you know, at the, at the point in the 1980s, uh, you know, when I got a personal computer, uh, well, your dad had a good reason to have a personal yeah, computer. Yeah. Uh, mom Although, wanted to do some finance to, stuff. To be yeah. fair, dad also played video games about as frequently as I did. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are main times where dad was quote unquote working on the novel when he was really playing Sid Meier's Pirates. Aha. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, uh, for the most part, you know, people were doing spreadsheets or writing letters on them, they, but they weren't, it wasn't a part of our lives because that was pre, uh, pre internet in the home. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think as time has gone on, there have been more complex uh, things, you know, more more complex software written for computers and uh, more types of games and more types of productivity software and all kinds of things that you didn't have before. And I think the iPad is doing the same thing for tablets. Um, now you have the Android operating system in competition with it and, uh, you know, some of the others, too. Um, and they're competing with each other and making each other and making all of, uh, the different varieties of hardware and software better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as it turns out, a lot of people do have a place for a tablet in their daily routine. Um, but it's something I'm that somebody had to skeptical. convince us. Well, and, and the first iMac was ridiculed for not having, uh, a serial or a parallel port yeah. or a floppy disk drive. That's that's interesting. You know, that's one of those things. I've had this discussion with a couple of people recently um, in that Steve Jobs, one of the things he is he was known for was uh, uh, not being the most um, amicable to compromise. No, he was very he had a very focused way of approaching a project and anything that was outside of that focus was you needed a darn good reason to be able to have it have Steve Jobs consider it. And if you weren't able to defend that idea, then it just didn't fly. Um, and he, his approach, his abrasive approach ca- could carry over into company-wide policy. Mm-hmm. And one of those big ones, one of the ones that still gets people up in arms is the fact that iOS does not support Flash. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
you know, uh, the here's the issue. HTML4, which is what we're using now, yes, does not support rich internet experiences. Right. At least not to any big extent, which is why you have to have all these other things added on to your browser in order to be able to experience them. Like Flash or Silverlight. Those would be the big examples. So to to be able to create this rich content experience, which is something that we've grown accustomed to on the web now, because as people have grown proficient in it, they've incorporated into websites in very clever and useful ways. So it's not just pretty, but actually functional. Right. The problem is that Again, natively, HTML4 does not support that. So you have to have these additional things added on to make it work. So Apple doesn't support that for iOS. And the the official argument from Apple is essentially that uh, Flash makes things unstable and it drains battery life. So that the reason why you won't find Flash supported on an iPhone or iPad or iPod Touch is because it would make the battery life uh, drain much more quickly and it would be a uh, an, an, an experience that the user would not actually like. Right. That's the official word. Uh, there are other things that you can take into consideration. For example, a company probably doesn't want to empower a competitor by incorporating their product directly into the experience. And Apple does compete with Adobe on right. a and number of so fronts. So Flash is from Adobe and Apple competes with Adobe in certain areas. So if if iOS supported uh, Flash, then by extension, you could argue Apple is somewhat supporting Adobe and that in business doesn't always make sense. So there, there's that level playing as well. Of course, that's not the, that's not the public message. Um, but that's frustrated a lot of people, both users who want to go and use websites that are using Flash, and therefore they they no they can't access that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is particularly a pain in the butt if you happen to be looking for a place to eat and the menu is on a Flash application. Yes, it happens so frequently. Um, but Jobs's other point he was making is that he wanted to push for the development of HTML5, the development and the rollout of HTML5. Because HTML5 was a solution to the problem of HTML4 does not natively support rich internet applications. Mm-hmm. HTML5 was going to be built with the support built in so that you didn't have to rely on a third-party solution to be able to have these experiences on a web page. Um, personally, I like that solution. I like an elegant solution where it's across the board – now, if I were Adobe, I would not like that solution at yeah. all because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you know, where's the problem? We, we've fixed that problem already. Um, but it's, it's the difference between say that you're building a building and you want to patch a hole in the wall versus you want to tear the wall down and build a strong wall from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's two different ways of achieving the same thing. Uh, and it's just that jobs, when he would message that out, was not gentle about it. <laughs> On the other hand, uh, Apple did embrace the portable document format, the PDF. Yes. Uh, in Mac OS X. It's been the standard, you know, it's a, you don't have to have, uh, the professional version of Acrobat to save a document as a PDF and you haven't for years. Um, and that was, that was one of the things that they touted. They said, this is a feature of the operating system. Yeah. Um, which I appreciate. And yeah. they have a, a native PDF reader and it's no, 
it's no big deal. It's part of the, the Mac OS X operating system. Right. So it wasn't something that they applied across the board to no, every but, single, uh, you know, element. And, and, and I will admit to having problems with Flash, not only on my Mac, but on, occasionally on PCs as well. Sure. Running Windows. Um, actually, I, I don't think I ever had one with Ubuntu, but I don't use it as often. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it, it's funny because right, immediately after they made the announcement, everybody, oh Apple, what what are you doing? You know you can't do that, and then you start hearing, well, yeah, it's kind of got a point. Yeah, yeah. It's um, just that I happen to have a lot of friends who develop for Flash. You know, sure, they develop sure. applications in Flash, or or they they're animators who animate in Flash, and uh, and they harbor some very strong feelings against that policy, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. You know, but at the same time, it's. I likened this yesterday to um, if the United States a few years ago tried to make a move to make the dollar coin a popular choice for people. Well, sure, they're more durable and they last longer than than dollar bills. Right. So in the, long run, in the long, in the long run. run, they are they cost less. It makes it's economical. Uh, but people just seemed reluctant to make the move from paper to coins, and part of the reason is because. United States did not discontinue the paper money. Mm-hmm. Now, if they had done the the what I would consider the intelligent thing, although painful, because yes. you're going to have a, you're going to have a transitionary period where people are just going to complain like the Dickens. Yes, but if Absolutely. they wanted if they wanted to really make that transition, they had to stop making the paper dollar bills and mm-hmm. stop circulating them, so that when they got into banks, they would be replaced with the coins, so that you would gradually take the dollar bill out of circulation, and you'd have no choice but to use the coins. Now, you'd definitely have a period where people would grumble and groan, yep. but but you would get to that point that you wanted to get to. You would reach the destination you needed to get to. Yep. And you would do it much more quickly and efficiently and without this kind of wishy-washy approach. That's what Jobs' philosophy was with the Flash and HTML5 was, you know, you rip that Band-Aid off and you don't, you know, we're not going to support Flash. And if our products are popular enough, that's going to push for the development and rollout of HTML5. And it's going to ramp that up. And if we don't do that, we may never get to HTML5 because there's not there's not a incentive to do that. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely see it from Jobs' perspective. I can also see it from my friends' perspectives who you know are actually making their livelihood developing things using Flash. Yep. So I can see it both ways. Well, even Adobe has uh, done what I consider the intelligent thing, um, which is although they still – uh, of course, are actively developing Flash and and moving it forward. They have also come up with a a, a rich uh, HTML5 editor yeah. um, that they've released a beta of. And um, I'm starting to see HTML5 websites become more robust. Yeah, and uh, it, it's impressive to see the development. And I mean, again, this is this is the same kind of thing where HTML5 is a lot less likely to cause problems. Um, but I could see why uh, Adobe would be very upset about that, you know, from a from a uh, developer standpoint of, you know, creating new productivity software. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you could definitely see, uh, you know, people say the same kinds of things about the closed environment of iOS and the uh, Mac OS X. Um, you don't have Mac clones. That's a big part of why uh, the Mac section of the uh the the piece of the pie if you will is very small mm-hmm. um it's hovered around 10 percent uh it was as low as you know i think under five at one point it's been climbing for the last while uh slowly very very slowly well a lot of people too 
um, are have multiple computers. I have a Windows computer and a Mac at home. Um, so you know, I, I think I think it's disproportionate in some ways, and it's also possible to run Windows on a Mac. And I wonder if people count that too, because we're ca- talking about copies of Windows. Yeah. And you fa- you have one on your Mac, then that's counting one on both columns. But yeah. anyway, uh, when Steve Jobs had been fired from Apple, um, you know, the the uh, following administrations decided they wanted to allow clones. Yep. And they had uh, they had allowed Motorola and some others to um, to come up with clones, and they were licensing copies of the Mac OS for people to use on other machines. And some of those other machines were really good. Um, in fact, at that point, some of them were considerably better than Apple's, which the quality was starting to flag at that point. On some of the machines, yep. the product lines were confusing. And uh, when Steve came back to power at, at Apple, um, you know, he he, put an ended, end he ended the cloning. Yeah. Um, and people complain about, you know, well, the App Store prevents uh, people from having choice. Um, but it has been argued recently that Android is not completely open and... Uh, Google has had to pull things from the Android App Store that have proven embarrassing for them. Um, sure. So, I mean, there's things a trade-off either, to be made. Either things that actually contained malware or things that were made malware uh, more of a possibility because they introduced vulnerabilities. I mean, yeah, that's that's the danger that Google runs with their philosophy. Yeah. And, um, I, and I could see an argument, again, I could see an argument for both. Yeah. A closed system is going to work m- much more fluid. Uh, yeah. Each piece is going to work very well with each other piece uh, of the software. So my iPod is going to sync very well with my Mac. And that was the thing um, is that Steve Jobs had a very, like I said, he had that focus. He he was had a specific experience in mind, not just a product, but the experience that the consumer would have with that product. Mm-hmm. And that was where all the energy and focus was directed, was to achieve that experience. So it wasn't good enough. To just design something that was pretty or that had an interesting user interface or that would support a certain percentage of software. It was important to have a product that delivered the this, this experience that Steve Jobs had come up with and anything less was unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And um, – and sometimes, you know, sometimes they failed. They didn't always succeed with that. But that was kind of the goal. And when you look at it that way – it it kind of is a it's a very unique approach to developing technology. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of other uh, companies are focused on specifications. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we need to have the fastest processor and the best graphics processing unit and the uh, best battery and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and they're looking at it piecemeal like that instead of looking at necessarily the end result. Like, what is the what is it that you're trying to achieve with this product? And uh, Steve Jobs took a, t- a totally different approach to that. And, um, you know, even if you don't like the products, you have to uh, at least admire the 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 methodology mm-hmm. that he followed. And uh, uh, yeah. the level of secrecy that he had, with, sure. even within the own company, within Apple itself, um, on these, these approaches. Because, you know, if... That was part of the thing was that during the process of development, you know, you're going to have some missteps along the way. And the 
product that you come up with may not deliver in the prototype form, may not deliver the experience you want. So you don't want that information to get out into the public because that's not what you're making. Yep. Yep. I I want to point out that, uh, you know, I enjoy my Android phone and I like the idea of being open. So I, you know, I I wasn't being, uh, unequivocal. Right. You know, I think, I, I think there are good reasons for both. Um, but yeah, that, that was one of the other things, you know, Steve Jobs being a showman, and being able to deliver an entertaining keynote. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I read accounts from Apple Store uh, people about, uh, and that on, on the special episode of Buzz Out Loud the other night, too, mm-hmm. uh, after. Which is a CNET show. A CNET show that um, that's very popular. Definitely, you should check it out. Yeah. Great um, folks over there. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they did a special show on the night that, that Steve Jobs' uh, passing was announced. Yeah. And uh, they were talking about how people would – customers would come into the store to watch the Apple keynote on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he – there was a flair. He had a marketing flair about him too. He wasn't just a shrewd business person. Um, and, and releasing details about the product, you know, the, the fact that there was so much secrecy surrounding these products beforehand – enabled him to make the big reveal. Yeah, and that's, you know, the title of this episode is all about one more thing. I mean, that was that Steve made that famous. And and I don't know that it was intentional. It was just supposed to be that last the, the bomb dropping at the end. Oh, hey, oh by the way, I just happened to have this announcement. Yeah. Right. And and it wasn't in every what eventually became known as the Steve note. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't in every presentation, but when it when he would include that where you know you think it's all wound up and you're thinking wow that was a really compelling product that they unveiled and I, oh and one more thing yeah and the one more thing would just be the thing that makes your jaw drop where you said wow i was ready to buy one when when the he, before he said that now i want to buy two of them mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i mean it was just it was one of those things where it's just it's such a great grasp on marketing and salesmanship. Very, I mean, you you could look at it the other way. You could say he was very manipulative. You would not be wrong. Yeah. But the point is that he was just so good at 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 conceiving of this this product all the way to the point where he's unveiling it to you and showing you why you should want it. Mm-hmm. And you know. People would also complain about Steve Jobs' approach was to tell you what you wanted, even, you know, you know, like he knew you better than you did. Well, that's but he the point of marketing. it over and over again. <laughs> that's the point of marketing. Yeah, he was – the fact that he did it successfully multiple times. I mean, I bring it up over and over. I predicted that the iPad would crash and burn because I could not imagine a world where a tablet computer would work. Where it would be successful in the consumer marketplace. And I was uncertain. And I was as wrong as wrong can be. And I just completely underestimated Steve Jobs and what his team did and his marketing ability. You know, all of that together is what helped make the iPad a success. It wasn't just that it was a very compelling product on its own. It was. If you pick up an iPad and no one has ever talked to you about it and you start playing with it, it's intuitive. It's got a low learning curve. It's fun to use. Um, but if you listen to that presentation that Steve Jobs gave, uh, you know, then you're, you suddenly, you hunger for it. And I just underestimated it entirely. Um, which, you know, not the first time, but, and, and I do have another story, a personal story. Sure. Uh, that I'd share. Mm-hmm. So I already touched on the fact that the Apple IIe kind of, uh, inspired my love of technology. Mm-hmm. 
uh, if we if we again extrapolate from that, my love of technology born from the Apple IIe. When I went to high school, uh, I actually took a keyboarding class. It was like type, typing, except it was for computers. Right. This is essentially learning to type. So same thing like, okay, so kids, those of you who are young, back in the day, there used to be a class in high school where you would learn how to type on a typewriter. And you would sit in a classroom and every desk would have a typewriter on it and it would be the loudest room in the, in the school with the possible exception of the shop where people are using, you know, band saws and stuff. Yeah. People, people didn't have typewriters in their homes in a lot of cases. And so people would pay others to type up papers for them for college. For example, um, my mom who could type around 130 words a minute. Yeah. Uh, my brother would often ask her to type up his papers for him because it would take him a lot longer and he would make a lot more mistakes. Right. Than, than she would. So the average person typing that just, you know, you, you had business people give stuff to their administrative assistants to type up. Right. The business people didn't do it like they do now with computers. Yeah. So it was a different, a different world. But, but, but by the time I was going to high school, there was this slow transition from typing class mm-hmm. to keyboarding class. It was the same thing except you're using a computer instead of a same typewriter. Same thing, only different. Well, and also you had the benefit of being able to hit the backspace button and delete something without ah. necessarily anyone hearing it because yeah. it didn't make that weird noise as, uh, as a corrective uh, liquid is being applied to the paper. Or the correction slips where you're sitting there trying to hold it in there. Right, you know. right. So anyway, uh, you know, the, in my typing class, the, the machines we used were, were Macs. Uh, we had Macs for, for our, um, typing, our keyboarding class. So again, in high school, I started to do, um, keyboarding and I eventually went into data processing classes, which was the next level up. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of data processing, I was teaching half the class. Because I was so familiar with the 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 Apple um, uh, platform, and then uh, so again, my love of technology continues to grow through high school. When I get into college, because of my love of technology, I adopted the whole online uh, uh, approach early. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a whole lot in common with a lot of the, the the kids who were going to the college I started going to when I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the nice thing about the online world, which was just starting to kind of take off in the early nineties, early to mid nineties, which is mm-hmm. when I started going to college. Um, since the online world was starting to take off, that gave me access to people from around the world, many of whom had similar interests in my, uh, as I did. And, uh, of course, the fact that they're on a computer already means we share something in common that we are at least not afraid of computers and mm-hmm. probably we love computers. So on one of these, um, I went to a, 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 I used to be a regular on various, uh, Telnet chat rooms. Kids, ask your parents. Um, yeah, they won't know either. They won't know either, unless they're geeks. But anyway, there were, there were chat rooms. So you would go in, it was all text based and you, you know, created a handle and you could go in and chat with people. Uh, I met a certain young lady on a chat room who then we had conversations and we found out we had a lot in common and we talked for a long time. We started talking on the phone. She came down to visit me. We started dating. Uh, we got engaged and later on I got married to this woman. Geeks. Uh, 14 years later, I'm still married to her. Um, so I met my wife through technology. My love of technology is what m- led me to adopting this whole online uh, approach. If... I had not had the Apple IIe, and I had not developed that love of tech. 
I may very well not have ever bothered with the whole online thing. I might have thought, that's not for me. That's that's just weird. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have met the woman who I fell in love with and got married to, and my life would be very different. So, you know, you have to extrapolate, and there's no way to know for sure, obviously, because we haven't discovered the parallel worlds yet. <laughs> but in a way, you could say that because of what Steve Jobs and Apple did, because that I developed my love of tech back when I was a kid, because I was using those machines, that's how I met my wife many years later. I'm going to do a sitcom about this. It's going to be called How I Met My Wife. <laughs> um, I'm hoping to get Allison Hannigan on board. I think she's occupied. You know, I got to start watching TV. Yeah, anyway. Okay. No, I, I think uh, it could be argued that, you know, of course, it's it's not all Steve Jobs' world. No. But because of people like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, uh, Jay Minor, mm-hmm. um, Bill Gates, yep. um, Paul Allen, you mm-hmm. know, these, these people made technology accessible to the average person. And, uh, you know, all the people that worked on their teams, too. But, they're you know, these are the faces that we can identify as having made a difference. Yeah. Uh, and, and doing that. And... Uh, you know, if you don't like one company's product, it's been inspired by the others and has inspired the others to do better. Yeah. Um, you could say the same thing for, for Pixar, too. Once Pixar, uh, you know, was, uh, was a George Lucas company. Yep. And uh, Steve Jobs, uh, I think he bought it, didn't he? He took it over. Yes, he bought it. Steve, uh, by the way, side note, very first movie I saw with the woman who would become my wife, mm-hmm. Toy Story. <laughs> so there you go. There's another one. Well, Pixar, uh, you know, certainly didn't invent animation. No. Or computer animation. Uh, well, they, they were one of the, uh, the one of the pioneers. Pioneers, certainly. Um, but they weren't the only ones to have the idea, I'm sure. Right. Uh, but they have revolutionized it. And I would say people like DreamWorks, uh, in competition with them has, worked harder because they have Pixar. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Disney's the- in-house people who were there, you know, in addition to the Pixar unit before, you know, they had a model to, to emulate. Um, and I think you could, you could say that Steve Jobs is a catalyst. Yeah. Uh, he, ins- he inspired other people to work harder, both on his own team and on the other teams. Uh, and he's just a recognizable face that we could say, you know, he made a difference. He, you know, his companies gave us products and, and, and things that we liked mm-hmm. and wanted to see and wanted to hold and, and use. Um, you know, and it's, uh, and I think it probably would have been a little different had he not, um, not passed away so early. Yeah. You know, at 56 years old, you know, he, he wasn't even, you know, in retirement age here in the United States is generally recognized to be around 65, although it's harder to retire at that age. You have many CEOs who, who work on at their companies past that time. Sure. You know, he, he would have been, um, had his health not declined, he, he probably would have been there at least another 10 years, uh, at Apple and, uh, you know, served with Pixar and Disney. You know, and it's just, I think that's probably another reason why his death affects us so, Deeply is because we go, well, you know what? I like what Apple's doing right now. I like what Pixar is doing. What would have happened? And, yeah. you know, that and he's a person that we kind of identified with and, and wanted to know more about. And yeah, he was mysterious as well. And I mean, he he definitely there's definitely a whole mythology around him. I mean, the yeah. fact we, we've touched on that with the reality distortion field 
You know, that yeah. that's one of that's a mythical feature to Steve Jobs. And, you know, e- even his competitors uh, have come out and said some pretty remarkable things about him. Um, the people people who both worked with him and competed against him uh, in, in the world of technology uh, after his passing have said some pretty phenomenal things. Uh, Bill Gates, I'll go ahead and quote Bill Gates because that's a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, Steve and I first met nearly 30 years ago and have been colleagues, competitors, and friends over the course of more than half our lives. The world rarely sees someone who has had the profound impact Steve has had, the effects of which will be felt for many generations to come. For those of us lucky to, enough to get to work with him, it's been an insanely great honor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that that speaks volumes, too, that yep. people who were either actively in a company um, – that competed against Apple or at, in their past had that they, they also recognize his, his contribution to the technology industry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. From the earliest days of Google, whenever Larry and I sought inspiration for vision and leadership, we needed to look no farther than Cupertino. Uh, Steve, your passion for excellence is felt by anyone who has ever touched an Apple product, including the MacBook I am writing this on right now. Uh, that was Sergey Brin and Larry Page, too. I am very, very sad to hear the news about Steve. He was a great man with incredible achievements and amazing brilliance. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, Steve, thank you for being a mentor and friend. Thanks for showing that what you build can change the world. I will miss you. Michael Dell, <laughs> CEO of Dell Incorporated. So today the world lost a visionary leader. The technology industry lost an iconic legend, and I lost a friend and fellow founder. The legacy of Steve Jobs will be remembered for generations to come. I mean, it's it, it that that from the person who said that Apple should have been uh, closed and sold back to the investors. Yeah, the pro- the proceeds given back to the investors. Yeah, there there are. Of course, that was in the dark days of Apple too. Dozens of these tributes coming from not just industry leaders in technology but politicians artists you know there are, there are musicians out there who credit their success in no small part to the fact that iTunes gave them a venue that otherwise they would not have had yeah um and you know you could even argue well iTunes has had a uh, it, it has sort of a monopoly effect but then yeah. but then you had other companies like Amazon come in and again because of what Steve Jobs had done that made it possible for other companies to do a similar approach uh, or an approach that was different enough to compete against iTunes yeah um but without that pioneering work we can't say for sure whether or not that would have happened maybe it would have happened but it would have happened later or differently or differently, I mean, I we there's no way of knowing right now whether or not if Steve Jobs had never come back to Apple, if they had never gone into portable electronics the way they did, would smartphones be a consumer product right now? It's hard to say. I mean, before the iPhone, they really weren't. Uh, there were people who had them. There were early adopters, and there were other folks who had them. But as a widespread thing, it just didn't it it didn't exist. So maybe it would have happened, but it would have happened on a, in a different way. And perhaps, perhaps we'd be in a very slow ramp mm-hmm. to people adopting mm-hmm. smartphones instead of the crazy one we're on now. We are rapidly getting to be the longest tech stuff episode ever. Yeah. And we've done that three times this year. Yeah. Now I can't think of, I, this is certainly a topic that I think is befits an extra long episode of tech stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and I'm sure that, that, uh, many of you will have comments and questions for us. Um, 
You know, it's by the time this will actually publish, the the rawness of uh, Steve's passing. passing will will have subsided somewhat, and we'll yeah. go back to saying the other company stinks. Right. Um, but and it's sad that you know it takes an event like this to sort of bring people together for a few days and go, you know what, we're all we're all competitors, but ultimately we're all friends too. And yeah, you know, yeah, our our goal we're is all learning the same. from each other. Right. Our goal is the same: is to create compelling products for consumers that are that truly are useful. Yeah. Because, you know, if you don't do that, then you get a reputation for making crap. Yep. You know? I mean that's the that's the bottom line. And that's if you true. get that reputation, you don't stay in business long. So um so everyone, you know, yeah, there was a lot of competition and not all of it was friendly. No. But it was definitely there was definitely a level of respect that was, Oh yeah. You know, well, it may not clear. have always may not have always translated to the way the words that were used, but <laughs> it was definitely underlying it. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode, and uh, if you guys have any specific thoughts about Steve Jobs and Apple and how maybe those the uh, the products that came from that company have affected you, whether even if it's not necessarily like oh a glowing praise, that's not what we're asking for. Really, just kind of giving context to what Steve Jobs did, what Apple did. Uh, both the good and the bad. I mean, it's not all not all positive. Let us know, though. Uh, send us an email. Our address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or better yet, go on to our Twitter or Facebook account and let us know through there. Uh, Facebook is a great way for us to have a conversation with a group of people. And uh, maybe we won't create too many flame wars this way. <laughs> but uh, look for us there. Our handle is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House of Work's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell 
from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.